holy shit, I am the goddamn protagonist of my own story and I don't need a love interest. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a podcast where we discuss the most intimate parts of the human experience. Let's take a deep dive into self-love, sexual pleasure, and absolutely everything in between. I'm your host, Chris Hall, and each week we will be joined by one fabulous friend, and sometimes that friend will just be me, to talk about how we can all become our most radiant selves. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Hey everyone, happy Tuesday. In this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance, we are going to try something new. We are going to continue on the topic from last week, sex and love addiction, as discussed in the previous episode with Brianne Davis. She's the author of a fictional memoir titled The Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. In that last episode, we discussed the range of experiences that she has had. And here's a little preview of last week's episode for you. Take a listen to this quote. Our society amplifies sex and love addiction. It amplifies, you know, using your sexuality as a currency to get something to manipulate and control men and women do it. And any, any gender, that's the beautiful thing. Anybody does it because our society says it's okay. And then the love addict side of it is that our society even pushes, you need to be looking for your soulmate. You need to buy this dress so someone will love you. And it's constantly chasing that fantasy, you know, intriguing, flirting, getting that person, toxic relationships, getting that unavailable person to love you. It's that side that nobody talks about. And a huge one is like destination fantasy. Once you get that person, once you get that thing, once you go on that trip, that location, you will be like saved. And it's just... It's like this constant battle that our whole society is fighting right now. I encourage you to take a full listen, maybe before even engaging with this episode and the questions offered up. Um, It is a really good primer. Uh, But in this episode, I'll be going through the 40 self-diagnosis questions that she does mention within it um, for sex and love addiction. These are available free and online from Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. I provided the link in the episode bio. Um, Even if you're sitting there thinking, that's definitely not me, I encourage you to stick around because I wouldn't have identified with this either. But apparently, as you're about to see, I kind of fit the bill. And As I started going deeper, I kind of realized how many yeses I had to these questions. And the threshold is saying yes to five of the questions maybe indicates that you should potentially look into it. Um, But it can give you a roadmap as to like, it's not saying, yes, go, you need to go join Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. It's just giving a roadmap as to where you might be exhibiting unhealthy behaviors in your romantic and sex life. And yeah, just giving you things to look out for. And that's definitely one of my main takeaways. Yes, self-work. What a wonderful day to do some self-work. And that is every damn day. So I will pose a question, give my answer, and then discuss the question in a little more depth. Some of these get really personal and get into lots of, okay, you should really be bringing this topic up to a therapist kind of territory. And I will mention that a couple of times along the way, but of course, if you're ever feeling very triggered, if you're ever feeling like something's a little bit too much, I encourage you to write down the question and discuss it with a licensed therapist. Um, I would also say starting with journaling about these topics would be a really, really good first step. 
Also, since some of these topics are going to get super real, again, uh, potentially triggering for someone who has experienced any sexual trauma, please do not take any of the humor that I use. Obviously, I'm not going to joke about that, but like to diffuse, like I'm just using it to diffuse attention. And me not taking this with absolute seriousness is not at all diminishing the importance of these questions or um, how they might affect certain people. Just, uh, you know, be trying to lighten the mood a bit. If you can, I recommend you keeping a pen and paper handy or, you know, a phone note or something to write down the big red flags for you so you can journal on them later. Or alternatively, pause it as you follow along and answer the questions for yourself. And yeah, that'd be a really great way to use this episode for a little bit of self-work and self-diagnosis. So before we get into the questions, I just wanted to go through the kind of briefer on the 40 questions for self-diagnosis of a sex and love addict. So it says, and I quote, the following questions are designed to be used as guidelines to identify possible signposts of sex and love addiction. They are not intended to provide a surefire method of diagnosis, nor can negative answers to these questions provide absolute assurance that the illness is not present. Many sex and love addicts have a varying patterns, which can result in different ways of approaching and answering these questions. Despite this fact, we have found that short to the point questions have often provided as an effective tool for self-diagnosis and have had lengthy explanations of what sex and love addiction is. We appreciate that the diagnosis of sex and love addiction is a matter that needs to be both very serious and very private, and we hope these questions will prove helpful. (laughs) So I guess I'm kind of breaking that private thing by literally discussing my answers with you right now, Um, but I hoped that this would propel you towards, one, answering them, and two, really knowing that like saying yes to this isn't a negative thing, and I want to start opening up this conversation a bit. So without further ado, let's start with question number one. Have you ever tried to control how much sex to have or how often you would see someone? So my answer is no. Once a month uh, is usually my goal when I'm single, but that is just about my sex drive. And that is about also kind of controlling how many sexual partners I have, you know, and that I don't want to go above and beyond. And so I tend to stick to that once a month amount because it's where I feel my baseline satisfaction. And it's just kind of how my life has gone, right? It's just kind of like the pattern that's arisen. But there is no universal normal for sex drive. It is influenced by many things. And one of them is not gender as much as we have thought it is or have been led to believe that it is. Levels and frequency for sex exist on a spectrum just like everything else. And absolutely every sex drive is normal. Trying to control how much or how trying to control the person there is the more important part of the question. Question number two. Do you find yourself unable to stop seeing a specific person, even though you know that seeing this person is destructive to you? My personal answer to this question is yes. This has happened to me within my life. There's a couple of examples that I can think of most recently before my partner and I started dating, my current partner that is, and the deep root of it, if I think about it, was loneliness and this deep thought that I could maybe change their minds. Like they were definitely completely disconnected from me. One of them Uh, ended up being a good friend of mine who like he fully told me that he wasn't into this and this wasn't a partnership for him. And he even suggested we step away from each other. And I kind of rebuffed that. And I knew that that was unhealthy at the time. And yes, that could take some heavy psychologist work to unlock. And I, 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 again, I knew how unhealthy it was. And I think what this question is more asking is, do you do it consistently? And is it at the detriment to yourself and others? I think another key part of this question is destructive. Like, is it destructive to you to keep doing it? Or is it more just you're lonely or like you're trying to do something with it? I think we've all had moments in our lives, or at least most of the people that I've crossed paths with in my life have had moments where we're doing something that we know is unhealthy because of some sort of emotion, loneliness, or what have you. And 
that doesn't necessarily mean that this is a yes for you. But I will say yes, because it has happened. Do I think that it points towards sex and love addiction? No, I think it points to something else. Question number three, do you feel that you don't want anyone to know about your sexual or romantic activities? Do you feel that you need to hide these activities from others, friends, family, coworkers, counselors, et cetera? My answer here is no. I definitely don't hide my sexual romantic activities. In fact, I think I like to share them with everyone a little bit too much. Uh, Case in point right now. So if you tend to hide them, I would give you the homework of reaching out to somebody in your life, one person, tapping them on the shoulder and sharing something, anything. It could be small or big. And to get the ball rolling, see how that feels to share. That would be my advice. Question number four. Do you get high from sex and or romances? And do you crash from that high? So my answer is yes. I have this tendency, or at least I did. um, And now that I'm getting more awareness on the subject, I'm definitely working on it very actively. But I did have this tendency to think of an event or a moment and thinking of it not as important if there isn't a potential sex or love interest or my sex or my actual sex and love interest in the room that I'm actively flirting with them or like making eyes with them or like feeling connected to them in some way. And I think that where I'm heading in this recovery is towards a sense of, holy shit, I am the goddamn protagonist of my own story and I don't need a love interest. But I think that there's also a potential that this came from a lifetime of watching and consuming stories where the protagonist almost always had a love interest and that desire to be the main character of my own life which obviously we all should be, right? Like you take the reins, you are the main character of your life, led me to think that I needed a love interest. And that's just me trying to therapize myself right there. But that's a potential reason, right? And again, this awareness, really helpful. And do you crash from it? Do you crash from like, do you get high and do you crash? Are you using it as a drug? As Brienne would say, she was snorting people. Especially when you snort people, I say drink and snort people. Like that's what I do. Oh, like an alcoholic drinks alcohol or a coke addict snort. Like I snort and drink people. Like give me your energy, give me your attention. And the moment that that high goes away or that like butterflies, if you you know the first love butterflies or that mm-hmm. attention, then I'm on to the next person. And it was just killing me. I it was killing me. Question five, have you had sex at inappropriate times in inappropriate places and or with inappropriate people? My answer is no. I don't think I've had it in the way that it's referring to. There were times where I didn't have time or sex when I haven't wanted to, or I've had sex with people that I shouldn't have because I had to do it with a, I kind of did it with a fantasy or a misconception about them that I willfully let myself believe, you know, the list goes on and on of the reasons why I've done it in times or places or in instances where I shouldn't have, but I've never let that detrimentally affect those around me or my life, which I think is a huge distinction. Like I've done it. It can be detrimental to my own mental health and to my own sense of self, but at the same way, that's all part of in, in my mind, it's all part of discovering who you are and your relationship to sex and love and, it's kind of like that messy becoming part, but as long as you're moving past it and those are steps that you've seen and go, oh, that's a problem, then you're like moving past it actively, which means that it's not just like a stuck thing that's there in your life and it's a consistent pattern. But I mean, yeah, sometimes you get horny in the wrong place, the wrong time, you know, it's, sometimes you want to be a little adventurous when that horniness strikes, you know, it's all good, guys, all good. Question number six, do you make promises to yourself or rules for yourself concerning your sexual or romantic behavior that you find you cannot follow? 
for me, this was a no or a maybe. I have had a hard time in the past following rules that other people made. Um, And by other people, I usually mean my partner, especially if it's a rare and a one-time opportunity that presents itself. I'm getting much better, but ultimately I have had a selfish impulse when it comes to these desired circumstances, even if a relationship is present and contradictory to this situation. And what I mean, for example, um, okay, this this is about to get really personal, but to illustrate this, I fell deeply in love at the age of 18 when I first went to university. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is it. This is everything. Like there's, this is, this is it. This is my whole, this is going to be my life. And because it was so intense and so beautiful and felt so perfect at the time. And now that I look back, it's like, wow, you just, I found the values that I valued the most in myself. And this was my mirror at the time. And like, now I look back and I'm like, wow, I think I was basing my romance off of like comic books and like the nerdy things I loved, not, you know, values and life goals and all this other stuff that I've now identified as being much more important to me. And because I thought, oh my God, this is the be all and end all. And this is the relationship I want for the rest of my life. So being bisexual, I hadn't had that many opportunities slash there was this like increasing sexual tension between me and one of my best friends. And so I had this opportunity come up when I went home for a break from university with this friend. And because in my mind, and again, this sounds like a justification. It is, but I'm telling you exactly what happened in my mind is that I had this opportunity come up to have a sexual encounter with this friend who I'd been in this, like, just, just so attracted to and had all these moments with um, in the past many years and it's a woman. And so that distinction was that I felt I was going to be in this relationship for a very long time with a man and this opportunity for a sexual encounter with a woman came up and I thought, oh my God, when am I going to get this chance again? Like I have to seize this now. It was this scarcity mindset that this is never going to come up again and I'm not going to be able to do it. And if I'm going to be with this person the rest of my life, I need to experience this now because of all these desires and things I wanted and completely wrong, a complete a complete break of trust. It again, so, so wrong, but that's the reason it happened. And so that's why I kind of give this maybe is like, if there was a moment that maybe you can recognize in your own life that did you make promises to someone else or rules with someone else um, that you couldn't follow? That's kind of in that category potentially. But again, I think that points to a different issue. I think that points to a scarcity mindset. And also just, it signaled to me too, um, that I needed a more open relationship that I am more towards or somewhere on the spectrum between monogamy and polyamory. And I am not completely one or the other. But so if we go to, if you broke these rules for yourself, think of a time when you made a rule such as, you know what, I'm going to swear off sex with anybody. I'm going to stick to my own stuff. I'm going to like work on myself. I'm going to commit to my job, you know, whatever it was, uh, because you're giving your, yourself space to heal maybe, or to just, you know, take a breather. And if you stuck to that, then you're doing great. Um, if you didn't stick to that, maybe look at why you didn't stick to that. It's a, uh, this is, this is a more complicated one. Um, but of course, none of this is black and white. Question seven, have you had, or do you have sex with someone you didn't or don't want to have sex with? So this one triggered me personally um, because my answer is yes. And it triggered me because I have used sex and I have spoken to other women who have also had this experience where they've used sex to get out of a what felt like a dangerous or potentially dangerous situation. 
when you get into this moment where it, it felt like the safest thing to do was to have sex with them so that they didn't hurt me or so that something bad didn't happen. Because if you satisfy them, they are much less likely to then turn around and hurt you or something. I don't know. Um, I definitely have been in some bad situations where I felt like I needed to have sex with them. Or I put myself in those situations where I suddenly realized that there was so much expected of me in this moment or that they had done something for me. And that I think is again, something very different than do I have a sex and love addiction? Is this a problem? This was me not communicating and not standing up for myself and not saying, no, I don't want to do this. And in most cases, I would assume that me communicating that would have been enough. But in my own mind, I was saying or believing that they had a different story in their mind. Um, So that's a really big one. Reach out if you have any more thoughts on that one, especially. Question number eight, do you believe that sex and or a relationship will make your life bearable? So I would answer yes to this, but I am not going with bearable. Um, I think, and I think bearable is the true yes trigger, um, but not bearable, but better. I definitely have had that thought many times that I felt incomplete without a partner in my life. I have felt as though love and being in love is the highest rung of a life's ladder to achieve and that I've fought to get up there, but not the bearable part. I love a single life. I love my life. So the word bearable is very telling. It goes back to something Brand said on the last episode that you cannot look for exterior things to complete you. And so here's that quote. You know, I think the number one thing I say is don't look for your validation on the outside. You know, being in recovery for sex and love addiction for 12 years, you know, being in the business for 25 years, I entered the business looking for it to complete me or fill me or give me my self-worth. And you can't enter any relationship, whether it be work, career, you know, a person, friendships, you cannot enter anything with you wanting to be filled and completed. So the number one thing is you have to like do that inner work on yourself for your self-worth before looking outside. So I think that what that's really getting to is, are you looking for to make sex or a relationship complete you in some way? Question number nine, have you ever felt that you had to have sex? Again, this goes back to question seven. Um, I felt that the easiest way out was to give a man an orgasm so he'd be placated enough to ensure my own safety. And that is just so looking back, oh my gosh, um, I want to give little Chris a hug. But yes, usually it meant placing a story of someone else's feelings or something that they had never expressed onto the situation. And so I really could have used my voice to communicate and there wouldn't have been so many of those times. Question 10. Do you believe that someone can fix you? So my answer is a hell no. And I am so grateful that I feel this way. Lately, I've been getting into some of Mel Robbins' work. I know I'm late to the game here, but if you haven't heard of her, she's an incredibly famous motivational speaker, among other things. And she is very, very good at her job. She fucking motivates. And so a quote of hers that I really took to heart lately is surrounding this topic. And it is, quote, no one's coming. No one's coming to push you. No one's coming to tell you to turn the TV off. No one's coming to tell you to get out the tour and exercise. Nobody's coming to write your business plan for you. It's up to you. It's your job to make yourself do the crap you don't want to do. So you can be everything that you're supposed to be. And you're so damn busy waiting to feel like it. And you're never going to. You've got to parent yourself. You've got to push yourself. 
no one is coming. So hopefully that's not a copyright infringement, but um, I just love that. I love, well, I love Mel Robbins getting more and more into her, but just that idea that, you know, you're, I, I definitely put responsibilities on my partner that were all mine and all about me. And since this thing involved them, such as sex or my exterior environment, like my house or something like that, I put more responsibility on them for the things that ultimately I needed, not them. Not that somebody needs to fix you, but that somebody maybe needs to help you or that it's their responsibility to be part of your healing process. And that's just not true. No one's going to fix you. No one has to fix you. Nobody cares about fixing you in the way that you do. You are the only one who can fix you. Even in the case of doctors, I definitely was like, oh, I'm just going to go to this appointment and then they're going to solve my problem for me. And the truth is that they're not because they're just going to give you certain information and you need to be the one that follows up. You need to be the one that goes on the elimination diet or that investigates this stuff or that really looks into it and follows up with it and keeps notes. And like, it's all up to you. What happens to you is so much up to you and what you do with the information you're given. Think of a physio, a physiotherapist, like they can give you all these exercises, but ultimately if you don't do those exercises, you're not going to get better. Same kind of stuff. It is all up to you. No one's coming. Question 11, do you keep a list written or otherwise of the number of sexual partners you've had? Okay, so this is one of the ones I don't know that I agree with. My answer is yes, I did keep a list, but so that I could keep track and look back and remember my journey and how I'd gotten here. And I could go like, oh yes, oh my gosh, I remember how I felt when this was my partner, this was my sexual love interest, or oh my gosh, I've come so far. Look at all these like steps along the way. And like, obviously people aren't steps, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, this is how I felt when this happened this is the stage I was at in my life. Like it was just another kind of way to look back on like certain markers of how I'd grown and like, Oh, I would never have, you know, engaged in this sexual activity. If I had been in this place in my life, like this is just a sign of where I was in my development. At least that's just me. I don't know. How did you make a list? What was the reason? I think I started making a list because my friend made a list. And also it was like, Oh, this is interesting. And yeah. So in two questions, there's a contradicting one, which I think is hilarious. And it just, I don't, I don't know. I, I wanted to keep track. So I'm so curious what your answer is to this question in particular. Do you keep a list? What is the list for? What do you tell yourself the list is for? I'm interested. Question number 12. Do you feel desperation or uneasiness when you are away from your lover or your sexual partner? So my answer here is no. But for the first 10 minutes after I leave somebody's presence, somebody I love, I do. I do miss their presence. and then it kind of like slowly bubbles down. And then I'm like, yes, okay. I'm me now. And I get to be only in my own energy and just be soaking in my own brainwaves and my mind. And it feels really good and really liberating. And sometimes it can be really difficult to push past this first 10 minutes or longer. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe like I find it's longer, the longer period of time you're going to be away from and the amount of affection you have for them. So if I'm going to leave a person for a month, I might feel, and they're like, my favorite person in the whole world, then maybe I'll feel kind of shitty for a couple hours. I think it's just my mind adjusting to my own company. And so my advice here is to be present and feel the transition to being your own company and to being grateful at the time you have to spend with the thoughts in your mind and just really loving your own company. But I think that transition is normal and I think it's always going to happen. And it's just a question of, do you want to ignore it and mute it and put on a podcast, listen to music and just pretend that doesn't exist until you just realize that you're by yourself and that feels great? Or do you want to be present with that transition and really feel the difference and kind of evaluate how you feel? It's up to you. 
Question 13, have you lost count of the number of sexual partners you've had? Okay, so here's the opposite question. I lost my list. And so I lost count of the number of sexual partners I'd had. Is, is this telling you that you have to not have a certain number of sexual partners that you need to be able to remember this type of stuff? Like that's so against inclusivity of people who can't remember things very easily or like, I just, I needed a list to remember. And then now it's telling me, oh, if you lost count, that's also bad. And I'm like, well, but okay, then how do I win here? Also in this day and age, we collectively have had more sexual partners on average than ever before. So how do you expect me to keep track without a list? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one too. I'm so confused. Question 14, do you feel desperate about your need for a lover, sexual fix, or a future mate? So my answer is sometimes, but I think desperate here is the key word because our society has told us a story and has told us to worry, you know, women have to have a mate in time for your expiring uterus and, you know, you have to do this in time for babies. Like, I think that wanting a sexual partner or a mate is completely normal. And I think that's bred into our biology in most of our cases. There is obviously different orientations and different brain chemistries that make it so that that's not a thing you want. And that's totally normal as well. But that feeling of desperation is something to investigate and potentially something to seek help for if it's, again, like desperate. Like if that is the word you'd use, maybe look at that a little more. Question 15, have you or do you have sex regardless of the consequences? And the examples are the threat of being caught, the risk of contracting herpes, gonorrhea, AIDS, etc. So my answer is no. And a good telling way to know if this is a trigger for you. Um, have you refused sex even when you really wanted to due to a lack of a condom or other types of protection? If you have, I would say that you're probably doing all right. But again, it's really looking for the pattern. Like if there's one off time, like maybe that's not something to really look at too deeply. Um, also, okay, the threat of being caught. That's such a turn on for some people. So question 16, do you find that you have a pattern of repeating bad relationships? My answer is no. Thankfully, gratefully, no. I feel as though each relationship continues on from last. Now with new information about yourself, about what your boundaries are, about what your values are and what you want out of life, ultimately they can all flow together as you grow and seek partners that are more a match for who you are now that you know yourself better. And at some points you can sustain longer relationships because you find someone who grows alongside you and accepts your growth and maybe grows in a very complimentary way to you. Or yeah, again, you just find somebody who really accepts you for who you are and is excited to see you grow. If you find that you are repeating bad relationships, what aspects are you repeating? Are you allowing yourself to be treated in ways that you wouldn't let your best friend be treated? Maybe journal on that a little, dig into it a little deeper. Question 17, do you feel that your only or major value in a relationship is your ability to perform sexually or provide an emotional fix? So my answer here is no. And uh, damn, this is getting a little bit deep. I'm getting some deep waters here. I think that this one I'm going to leave for the therapist or the journal. I'm going to let you soak in on that one. Question 18, do you feel like a lifeless puppet unless there is someone around whom, with whom you can flirt? Do you feel that you're not really alive? unless you are with your sexual slash romantic partner? My answer is no. So I recently have been brought into a new understanding about flirting though, that if you're using it to get something or flirting with a goal, then maybe that's not healthy or ideal, but flirting with everyone just because you're so turned on and ready for life and feeling sexy and radiant. Now that's a beautiful way of the ancient courtesan. 
but I will speak on that more later as we review the book named Pussy, A Reclamation by Mama Gina, who runs the School of Womanly Arts in New York. Uh, it is amazing stuff. Um, I'm working on a review of the book for you, and it's going to be absolutely fabulous. But uh, this, again, might be a question for the therapist. Question 19. Do you feel entitled to sex? My personal answer is no, although it can be a struggle when you and your partner, lover, etc., have different sex drives. What then? Are you not right for one another? Do you find alternative non-monogamous solutions? Are those non-monogamous solutions not healthy because your seeking of other relationships are built on a dissatisfaction with what you receive from your current partner? All very different questions to answer. And if you've thoughts on this, please reach out. I would love to hear them. But being entitled or feeling entitled is very different, right? Feeling like they have to give you sex at a certain frequency. Now that becomes a consent issue and also pretty wrong as it affects someone else's bodily autonomy, right? Like this can get into so many deeper topics, but that feeling of entitlement, if it's present, something to look at. Question 20, do you feel yourself in a relationship that you cannot leave? My answer is no, but also sometimes maybe yes. I feel like the threat of loneliness and for some of us, women in particular, starting over close to a deadline of our fertile window is scary in the world we live in today. Um, and yeah, okay, there's the fear of being alone. Not great. Should not base decisions off of that. But I think in the context of a sex and love addict, it's really talking about feeling like all of your value is derived from your relationship. And so if you feel like you can't leave it, then you're really tying so much of your own personal value in that relationship. Like you are valuable because of this relationship. If you treat it kind of like almost a business, right? Where it's exterior to yourself. It's this thing you're building that's extra and that there's you and there's your partner or your friend. And then there's this separate relationship that you have between you and really just removing your own self-worth from that relationship. It's a thing that you're building. And if it fails, well, it fa- or not fails, sorry, ended. I don't believe in relationships failing, but if it ends well, things end. And sometimes they need to end. And sometimes that's the healthiest thing that could possibly happen. So yeah, deriving your self-worth from a relationship. I think that's really what it's trying to ask here. Question 21. Have you ever threatened your financial stability or standing in the community by pursuing a sexual partner? So my answer here is no, but like, okay, this definitely happened all around me, especially growing up watching people chase after a friend's ex. Sometimes the feelings are legit. And sometimes it's just, you know, much something much more sinister is going on here. Like there's, they're trying to do something to the other person through this relationship. It's a revenge relationship. Like we've all seen this played out in movies so many times that maybe we think it's normal, but it's really far from healthy behavior, right? Like getting revenge by taking somebody's boyfriend is not normal. I mean, I don't know, maybe like, it'd be so great to know how far back that actually goes. And if this is a behavior that's been exhibited many times, forgive me here for a second, but like this definitely plays off the patriarch's goal of setting women against one another and us not focusing on sistership and supporting other women, right? There's so much narrative of being in competition with others when like, realistically, if we all just banded together, we'd be so strong, but yeah, threatening financial stability and standing in community, those other like really important pillars to a thriving life, threatening it by pursuing a sexual partner. Like, absolutely. That is, uh, that's definitely something to look into. Question 22. Do you believe that the problems in your love life result from not having enough of or the right kind of sex or from continuing to remain with the wrong person? So this is a strange one. Uh, my personal answer is maybe, 
um, because there is so much to interpret here. Like what constitutes a problem with your love life? I guess it's causing you more negative emotions than positive ones. The right kind of sex, that is a highly subjective thing, right? Like, are you looking for more emotional connection? Like, it's just, that's so, so gray lines. Um, but I guess, did it trigger something in you, right? If it triggers something in you, that's something to look at. So staying with the wrong person. I mean, there's so many reasons why people stay with the wrong person. And one of them is, you know, the fear of being alone, like we talked about earlier. So there's a lot of interpretation here. Question 23, have you ever had a serious relationship threatened or destroyed because of outside sexual activity? So my answer is yes. So cheating, a breaking of trust, usually characterized by most uh, with sexual activity outside of the relationship. All right, true time. Let's, uh, let's do this. Um, yes, I have cheated. And I guess I told you about one of those times earlier in this episode. Um, I could defend myself and I could tell you that the specific circumstances, but um, I mean, I already did in one of the cases. I've done it. It's had bad repercussions. And it's also taught me a lot about my desires, my own core self, things to work on and things to accept. And there's really a lot there. And you've got to answer this one for yourself. So good luck. Question 24. Do you feel that life would have no meaning without a love relationship or without sex? Do you feel that you would have no identity if you were not someone's lover? My personal answer is no. And it, some of these get into like a reframing of earlier questions, but it is good to like look at them from slightly different angles because some of them may trigger you in different ways with different words, but uh, still worth, you know, posing. It's kind of like when people don't know you at a party and it's all like your partner's friends or something and you just get described as like their girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. And, but like, what if that was your whole life? And like, that was your whole like identity. And again, like very, just, just holding a relationship close to your sense of self or your sense of self-worth, which a lot of the future questions kind of build more into self-worth things, which I think is a really important aspect of it. Question 25, do you find yourself flirting or sexualizing <laughs> with someone, even if you do not mean to? Sexualizing is a verb. I actually kind of like that. No, my personal answer is no. But don't we mistakenly flirt with one another like all the time? Like, especially if you're feeling good and loving everything, just, just feeling turned on and alive, right? Like, again, the definition of flirting here seems to take on a negative connotation, which I personally think is, you know, a little wrong because flirting can be healthy. You know, it's with all the things, if you do it in a certain way with a certain intention, it can be really, really lovely as long as those are your motives and you're not trying to achieve something or manipulate someone. Question 26, does your sexual and or romantic behavior affect your reputation? My answer is no, but it does kind of like, it's, it's a part of my reputation, which I then take on a little more serious than I should. And I feel like I have some crazy, and sometimes I feel like I should have some crazy stories. And so I sometimes play up things or go seek them out and that's not healthy. Yeah. I mean, I speak about this in my first uh, solo episode. Um, I believe it's called Dr. Prescribed Dildos. One of the first ones, I think it's episode number three. Yeah. It's, I mean, ultimately what it comes down to is if I wanted that to no longer be part of how people perceived me, I would tell my close friends that that's not a way that I want to be spoken to anymore. Um, but I think there's a part of me that likes it. So yeah, there's, um, there's something to unpack there. Question 27, do you have sex and or relationships to try to deal with or escape from life's problems? I mean, my answer is no, but like, I feel like sometimes there's times in my life where people who are really close to me were like, that's all we talk about. And that's like one of the funner things to talk about in our, like, that's what we dish about. I don't know. It's, 
it is one of the best parts of life, in my opinion, or maybe that's just what society has taught me. But I do think it's totally okay to have a reputation or be known for being sexual. Like that is just part of who you are. Um, Also throwback to the very first episode, like Hondro was so candid about being like, I am sexual. That is one of my identifiers. And now he's like bringing it out and putting it on screen and in his music. And it was just, I am sexual. That is okay as being one of your identifiers. And I think it's just referring to like this question is referring to if it's negatively, negatively affecting your life. And so just for fun, let's do a throwback all the way to episode one and listen again to Handro finding his courage in the media, allowing himself to be seen by one of his identifiers, sexual. Since I released the song, I feel like I am way more comfortable with expressing my sexuality mm. in social media. So again, there is that aspect that it was just a component of growth, like that feeling of anxiety, of nervousness was just me going through that learning experience of, okay, this is what it feels like being openly sexualized in the public eye. Yeah. And so moving forward, it's less scary for less scary for me to, you know, be more expressive or maybe a bit more sexy in my stories or maybe a bit more. And you know what the thing is, I, again, like it, we, it's, it's part of who I am. Like I am, I'm intelligent. I am funny. I am uh, caring. I am giving. I am sexual. Question 28. Do you feel uncomfortable about your masturbation because of the frequency with which you masturbate, the fantasies you engage in, the props you use, and or the places in which you do it? (laughs) There's a lot of levels to the masturbation here. Um, So my personal answer is no, not at all. And I am a frequent flyer in this area. So the frequency, no. The fantasies, no, no, no shame in my fantasies. Props I use, no, no shame in that. But like definitely, I don't know, maybe use different props and that's okay as long as everything's clean and sanitary and not crossing any other people's boundaries, like everything's good. The places in which you do it though, I mean, okay, I've done it in some questionable places. I'm not going to tell you where, but I think it's more just like, are you doing it somewhere where other people wouldn't find it appropriate? Like if it was illegal or moral or cross somebody else's consent boundaries, like voyeurism is hot. It's a kink. It's enjoyed by many, but you have to have consent from the people who around you are now watching because if they're watching you, they're now kind of, well, not kind of, they are part of your sexual experience. And so like masturbating on a bus, really not cool. Question 29, do you engage in the practices of <laughs> practices of voyeurism, exhibition, et cetera, in ways that bring discomfort and pain? So super hilarious that I just mentioned exhibitionism in, and voyeurism in the last question. So my personal answer is no. And I would argue here that discomfort is a tool in which you can use to push your boundaries and grow. And it's one of the methods of growth that is pretty pretty important if you want to continue to grow. And a great book that looks into this and talks about it is called More Than Two. It's kind of a polyamory Bible. It's the ethical guide to non-monogamous relationships, but it is useful and amazing to all people with all preferences as it really is just a really good look at relationships and how to have healthy relationships. And again, that is something that I'm going to be reviewing soon and super excited for those episodes. Um, I've got a really great co-host for those ones who does know a lot more about polyamory than I do. And yeah, oh my gosh, so many amazing topics in that book and highly recommend you check it out. If you're like, yeah, I want to use discomfort to grow. Cool. You agree with that? Maybe check it out. And so pain as the other side of this question, again, pain is actually a tool that can be used in sex in order to bring you into the present and help you reach higher levels of consciousness and more connected sex. So I'm not sure I agree with this because like pain is 
a natural thing that some people seek in their sexual experiences, but it's all on you, right? Like, I guess it's more about, did you do it to get attention in unhealthy ways? Question 30, do you find yourself needing greater and greater variety and energy in your sexual or romantic activities just to achieve an acceptable level of physical and emotional relief? So my answer here is no. And I think there's two main pieces to this. One is speaking to always seeking out the new factor, always going bigger and bolder in order to keep your kind of fix of sex or relationships. And that is fair, seeking newness in a way to keep things fresh in a relationship, but that can only be sustained so long. And so there are ways to go deeper into connection or connections that you already have. And that is just something to look out for in general. If you want to maintain a healthy relationship, you know, like if you're always seeking newness, that can work for a while, but yeah, it might stop working. The next part of the question I draw your attention to is the relief part, an acceptable level of physical and emotional relief in that seeking these things are needed to satiate a deep need that you don't recognize as being able to be satiated in other ways, you know, like physical non-sexual touch with friends or emotional connection without a sexual component are some examples of this relying only on your sex life for these aspects of the human experience can lead to some pretty devastating places as we've all probably seen in the lives of people around us, media, and maybe our own lives. So this question I really love as kind of just a self-reflection on your sex life and your love life. Question 31, do you need to have sex or fall in love in order to feel like a real man or a real woman? And I'm gonna add here, real person. My personal answer is no. It definitely is important to me though. Very important as they are, they being falling in love and having sex. Those are two of my values. I love physical touch and connecting with others. And I find the act of connecting so deeply with another human in a way that sex often does allow is so, so beautiful. And I want to experience this with a large variety of humans during my life. Does that mean that I feel I am not real without it? No, but I definitely could work on evaluating how much store I place in having this in my life and what kind of other things I'm losing by seeking it out the amount that I do, right? Which with all the things we do in our lives, looking at if our values are in line with how we spend our money, how we spend our time. Yeah. I think those are the main ones, right? Like if your values align with those things, with who you're spending time with, how you're spending your time, what you're spending your money on, if all those things align, then you're doing great. But also when I don't have it, I seek it the same way I would, if I didn't have a job, it kind of feels necessary to me. And it does take up a lot of my brain space. And perhaps we should all take a look at the kind of importance we are placing on sex and love within our lives and whether that is something that we've been told we should do or something that we do innately want. Question 32. Do you feel that your sexual and romantic behavior is about as rewarding as hijacking a revolving door? Are you jaded? Okay. Um, so my personal answer is no. Um, revolving door though. Okay. That's just someone trying to say cleverly, not rewarding, I guess, like, or I guess like a turn of phrase to just mean that like you're going around around in circles and seeking it out and getting no satisfaction from it whatsoever. And then jaded, tired, bored, and lacking enthusiasm, typically after having too much of something, right? That's, that's the definition of jaded. So if you do feel jaded, if at all possible, give yourself a break. <laughs> Honestly, give yourself the gift of time by yourself. Take three months to yourself. Take yourself on dates. Lean into your pleasures. I, I beg of you. Question 33. Are you unable to concentrate on other areas of your life because of thoughts or feelings you are having about another person or about sex? My personal answer is yes. 
this has happened to me a lot in the past and maybe not to the point where I didn't get the things done I needed to, or like didn't perform well at work, but it definitely occupied a lot of my brain space. And I think I purposely wanted to distract myself from the world using a current love interest. I did this for years. This was like, this was my brain for so many years. Like I was either, and the only times I felt lost was when I didn't have somebody to think about, or I wasn't in a relationship or I didn't have a crush. Like even just having a crush, you'd be like this fix that I'd be like, yes, okay. I needed to have a crush to be able to distract myself from all the other things in life that I didn't want to think about. And I think this one really triggered one of those, like, oh, this was really quite unhealthy. And it's hard to know how much I've healed from it because this is something that happens to me when I'm not in a relationship and I have been for the past two years. So yeah, I should definitely dive deeper into it. I think I used to use it in moments where life seemed dull and uninteresting to keep myself from wandering into rivers of scary thoughts about, you know, death, life, the universe and everything. Like it was my happy shield that kept the bad thoughts at bay. So do you use it to distract yourself? And, you know, why do you obsess over it? Some further questions to ask yourself. Question 34, do you find yourself obsessing about a specific person or sexual act, even though these thoughts bring you pain, craving, or discomfort? I'm going to say no to this one, but if you are getting flashbacks about painful, traumatic events, I think that's different. And in that case, feel it. Um, This has definitely happened to me. And the best way is to let yourself feel, let yourself feel it and move during your painful flashbacks. Let the emotions move through your body. And that will start to lessen the trauma. And I am in no way a professional in any of this. So please seek help from a professional. But another way to get through the trauma like this is the tapping method. Uh, There's an app called the Tapping Solution that could really help. It walks you through different like calming methods. And some of them are just like 15 minutes long. Yeah, this one, this one's a really big topic. So I'm going to leave this one to you to personally reflect. Question 35. Have you ever wished you could stop or control your sexual and romantic activities for a given period of time? Have you ever wished that you could be less emotionally dependent? My answer here is no. I personally don't feel dependent on my emotions. I do feel alive with them though. So I do I do love my emotions and I feel joy about feeling emotions even when sometimes they're painful. I've had moments where I've crossed a boundary of mine in a very real and new way. And I have just like screamed and cried in despair and pain. And there was a part of me that took a lot of pleasure in that pain. And it was because I was expressing it so vividly when I needed to. It was, it was that like deep pleasure of my emotions being noticed and being embodied right? Like crying when your body needs to cry is so cathartic and screaming and rolling on the floor and hitting stuff. And I could go on about emotions for so long, but I don't know. I think the question of being less emotionally dependent, right? Like dependent on these things. Yes, absolutely. That's not great, but like less emotional never. And then the other part of it is stopping or controlling your sexual or romantic activities. Stopping, yes, you may need a break, and hopefully you take one if you do, but control, oh boy, okay, that goes way deeper and whole thing in itself. Question 36, do you find the pain in your life increasing no matter what you do? Are you afraid that deep down you are unacceptable? My personal answer is no, and holy shit, this one is really just asking you, like it, it frames it in such like a, like a scary way of like, is it, do you find the pain increasing no matter what you do? Like, holy shit. But then like deep down, you're afraid you're unacceptable. That one is the real trigger for me. Like if you deep down feel unacceptable and worthless, 
one, I got to say you are worth it. You are absolutely worth it. And I know that me saying that is going to make no difference, but maybe you saying it to yourself might and writing down affirmations in that way. And secondly, here are some things you could try to start to shift yourself away from those feelings of worthlessness. And yes, they do center around loving yourself and your buddy. (laughs) Welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, guys. Um, So number one, date yourself. Take yourself on dates. Do things that bring you pleasure and joy for no other reason than that. And focus on that. Do more of what you love. Schedule into your life. Take a look at your week and just be like, okay, where have I scheduled in things that you do just because you love them? Just because they're amazing. Number two, move, baby, move, get up, get dancing, get running, go do sports, <laughs> sprouts, yay, sprouts. Um, dancing naked around in front of the mirror is a great practice. I do it every single morning and I am amazed at the difference I've felt in even just a few months of doing this and just really just moving with myself and being with myself. And like, for me, that's more of like a, a body self-worth thing, but it's all tied up into one, right? And start with, I have a body, not I love my body, right? That's, that's a hard jump to make from I hate to I love, but just being like, okay, neutral. Like I have this body. I'm going to accept that I have this body. It's a huge step. Number three, masturbate, meditate, and do breath work. Yep. Three of my favorite things. You know, like if, you know, Julie Andrews is singing her like, oh, my favorite thing song. Oh my God. Those would be like top three right there. Number four, journal and reflect. Stream of consciousness journaling is super, super powerful. You know, start with just how do you feel today and just, or just start writing, right? Start, start writing, keep going, write down for at least three pages or 15 minutes. And you might find that you get to some really amazing places. And it's usually on that third page. So just keep going. Even if it's like, I like oranges, just like really just pick out exactly what's in your brain right then, write it down. So, so good. Number five, set yourself a goal. Start a project or create things. Creation and purpose is the antidote so much of the time. We are beings of creation and we are meant to create. Question 37, do you feel that you lack dignity and wholeness? Again, I think these last few questions are really centered around self-worth. Like, where are you getting your worth from? Do you feel worthy and whole? And just kind of changing the words to see if they trigger you in different ways. And so my answer here is no. Dignity, again, the definition is being worthy of honor and respect. So self-worth, do you feel you're worthless? And secondly, wholeness, being broken and undamaged. Do you feel that way? Question 38, do you feel that your sexual and or romantic life affects your spiritual life in a negative way? My answer here is no. And this one is particularly interesting to me because I'm slowly on the path of learning how to connect my spirituality and my sexuality into one. I'm slowly learning that one is the path to the other, at least for me. And through sex, you can reach higher states of consciousness and greater spiritual connection with yourself, others, and ultimately the universe. And if that just made you triggered or think of something negative, don't worry. I know how it sounds, but I hope that through more discussion on this topic, as more discussion will come, that maybe we'll we'll open up this idea and explore it together. And so affecting your spiritual life in a negative way, does this come from an organized religion? Do you feel less spiritually connected to the world because you feel unworthy due to your sexual behavior? This one really does stump me. I mean, it's it's an interesting one, but it's really up to your interpretation of what spirituality means to you. Question 39, do you feel that your life is unmanageable because of your sexual and or romantic behavior or your excessive dependency needs? Loaded question. My answer is no. And if your life is unmanageable due to any aspect, definitely reevaluate. Question 40. Have you ever thought that there might be more you could do with your life if you were not so driven by sexual or romantic pursuits? 
Hook. All right. That's also a heavy one. And that is an interesting one to end on. Uh, my answer is yes. Um, totally. We would all have more time if we weren't all seeking a mate, but for most of us, it's really important. So I don't know that, I guess if it's like you don't have time for anything else and like, that's all you're thinking of then yeah, then something to reevaluate, but like, I don't know about this one, guys. It's yeah. We're all seeking mates for the most part. I don't like, I know a couple of people and that's totally chill if you're not, but like, I think it's very normal to seek a mate. It's part of the animal kingdom. We are ultimately animals. So that was potentially not the strongest finish, but that is the end of our questions. And so in conclusion, um, I have 28 no's and 12 on the side of the yes or maybe variety. And if you remember from before, the threshold was five yeses to be, you know, on the lookout for a sex and love addiction. Does this mean that I'm not going to go join Sex and Love Anonymous? Honestly, no. But I'm glad I'm aware of these markers because now I can recognize them when they're happening as potentially negative behaviors. Some of them I've seen exhibited so many times in the media or in my life or in other people's lives around me that I don't know that I would have recognized them as like a real or as this big of a problem, I guess. So that's my major takeaway. I'd love to hear yours. Please reach out and let me know if you have answers to any of these questions I've asked, or if you'd like to share your results, I'd love to celebrate you for going through this self-evaluation. Speaking of celebration, let's celebrate. You did a thing for you. That is self-care. Give yourself a hug, a a self-five, a mirrored self-five, dance around a bit, congratulate yourself. Such an important part of doing this work. You are special and wonderful, and I'm sending you all my love. I'll see you next Tuesday. And with that, we come to the end of this week's episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for joining this week. I hope you enjoyed your time with us and came away with something truly valuable. If you want more and simply cannot wait until next week, come join us online. Reach out on Instagram at Hell of a Hall or on TikTok at Reclaim Your Radiance to connect. We also have a Facebook community with the name Reclaim Your Radiance, where we talk about all sorts of topics related to the podcast and tons that aren't. It's a community of like-minded souls who want to dive deeper into these things and keep the conversation going. Or maybe you're more of a tips and tricks straight to your inbox kind of person. Sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance, including retreats, self-love courses, and more. Stay tuned. Head on over to the episode notes in the show description to find those links, and I hope to see you online soon. All right, everyone, until next week, stay radiant. Stay radiant.